together. We bless you, Jesus. Some praise this morning. He is worthy, amen. Nobody like our God. We bless your name, Jesus. Hey, let's just take a moment as we slip our hands to heaven. Can we invite the presence of the Lord in this place together? 
Lord, we want to take this moment, this opportunity, Lord, to just tell you how much we love you. Lord, how much we need you, how much we want your spirit, your presence to be in this place this morning, God. Lord, we don't want to just sing songs that are about you this morning, but God, let our hearts sing to you and engage with your presence today, God. We bless you, we honor you, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Of the 
The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. By your Spirit I will rise from the ashes of decay. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. Your, your name is victory, and all praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory, all praise will rise to Christ our King.
Awesome. Amen. Hey, well, you can go ahead and take a seat for a moment. The ushers are going to serve you with communion as we continue to worship this morning.
taking time in the middle of service it's really not even enough in this cup to satisfy your thirst certainly not enough in this little wafer to be much nourishment but yet what it represents is arguably the most powerful event that's ever happened in the history of the world this represents that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross he was buried and on the third day he rose from the grave the cup reminds us that his blood was shed for us so our sins could be forgiven and we could have eternal life. In the Old Testament, there was a similar experience. It was called the Passover. They remembered what God did in Egypt, how the death angel came for judgment, passed over wherever the blood was on the lamppost. See, the Bible teaches without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And that's what makes Christianity different than any other religion, what that empty cross reminds us of. In the New Testament, it's called communion, which means special fellowship with God. The Lord's Supper, because Jesus and his disciples ate together and shared a communion meal, a fellowship meal. Some traditions call it the Eucharist. But in all of this is a reminder that Jesus died for our sins. He's alive and he's coming back again. Well, this morning, I feel the Lord wanted me to, I prayed yesterday, to bring this word to you during communion that there is hope for the believer. And communion reminds us that no matter what happens in life, no matter how dark the future may be, let me know God is always a God of hope. It was a dark day for the disciples after Jesus died, but how many know just around the corner, the resurrection came. As we read through our Bible reading, the book of Genesis, the last couple days, we read about a story where Joseph asked his brothers who'd betrayed him when they came to Egypt for food, and he asked this question because he hadn't seen his daddy in 20 years. And he said this, is he still alive? And as I thought about that, let me know there is still hope. 
eating a boy that hadn't seen his daddy. And that's what I want to tell you today. If you're in a place in life and it seems like things just can't get better, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what the future holds. Let me tell you, God controls the future. And our life is hidden with God in Christ as we follow him. Paul wrote these words in Corinthians. He said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke that bread and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It reminds us of the sacrifice on the cross, a debt he paid that he didn't owe. Because I could never pay that price on my own. I could never be good enough to get to heaven. That's why Christ died, to pay the penalty for my sins. Lord, as we hold this little reminder in our hand, I pray that its truth would sink deeply into our hearts. Might God grant us the spirit of revelation to reveal how much you love us and how important we are to you. I pray, God, that you would give us a whole fresh outlook on life and a brand new commitment to follow you. Bless this bread and heal those that are sick in our midst in Jesus' name. Scripture says in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant, a new promise in my blood. This new as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. He's coming again. So, Lord, today as we hold this cup, its color reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for us. The Bible teaches us an immutable spiritual law. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So we want to confess our sins before you today. Humbly ask you to forgive us and help us, Lord, go and sin no more. God, today we also forgive those that have sinned against us. People that have lied to us, owe us money, taken advantage of us, divorced us all the pain and heartache in the world we don't want to harbor anger or bitterness towards them just as we've been forgiven we're called to forgive let our hearts be clean towards all men lift your cup towards heaven with me as we say again Jesus is coming again Lord may we live in such a way to welcome your return in Jesus name let's drink amen well can you say praise the Lord Hey, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing one more song. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed in white as snow.
thankful for that this morning. Somebody give him some praise. He is worthy. Amen. Why don't you greet your neighbor? Tell him I'm happy you are to see him in God's house. And praise the Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. New ministry guides are here with information about all of our current groups and outreaches. You can pick one up in the foyer or from the chair back in front of you. Here at Church on the Rock, there's a group for everyone. Our 2017 Women's Retreat is March 2nd through the 4th. This will be a powerful weekend for women to strengthen their walk with the Lord. Sign up today in the foyer. Dry Gulch Kids Camp deposit is due on February 19th. Spots are still available. Check with Bethany for more information. If you followed along with our church-wide Bible reading for the month of January, stop by the foyer and pick up a card for a free drink from our coffee bar. Also, you can enter your name in a drawing for a $100 gift card. We were made to love. This is who we are. The ones we love, we call family. A bond designed to last a lifetime. Embrace what your family has been set apart to be. Family is forever. We all desire to leave this world better than we found it. To leave a legacy for our children and grandchildren. The journey will not always be easy. There will be struggle. But beyond that struggle, the future is waiting. Your family can have a great future. Join us for EXO Marriage Conference 2017. God some praise this morning. Amen, amen. Are you glad to be here? How many people are excited about the Super Bowl? Amen, Where are my amen. Patriots fans at? Falcons fans? Anybody? All right. Hey, we got a work cut out this weekend, Travis. Are we going to help eat the 1.5 
billion chicken wings, 28 million pounds of chips. Who's going to help out there? That's, yes. the, that's what's going to be eaten this, today. Hey, something very important. Hopefully you're reading along in your Bible, getting closer to God. And if you are and following the Read Your Bible in a Year plan, if you'll stop in the foyer and just show them your phone, whether you're checking it off of your iPhone or your, uh, you know, the app, or whether you're just doing a hard copy and checking it off, or just uh, by your word, you're reading your Bible in a year with us, then you'll get a coupon for a cappuccino or a soda you can take with you. Also, you get to put your name in for the drawing for this month. Uh, that'll be due at the end of February for a $100 gift certificate. So if you haven't started, start today and get in for the end of the February one. Amen. Also, you just saw it on the video announcements. This coming Friday and Saturday, we have our marriage conference. It's a simulcast. We do this every single year. I'm telling you, if you want to strengthen your marriage, come. It's free. Child care is provided. There will be some snacks. You will be blessed when you come. And I'm telling you, your marriage will get stronger. This weekend, Friday and Saturday. Hey, in the chair back in front of you, grab one of those ministry guides. They're brand new. This is a way to get connected to friends and grow in your spiritual walk. Small groups all over the city and in our church, find one. If you're having a little trouble, just take that flyer out of the bulletin, fill it out, and drop it off at the Connect Room or, or uh, drop it in the offering, and somebody will give you a call and help you find a, a group that will fit you because it's about connecting to God, friends, ministry, ministry and the world. the world. Amen. Okay, one last thing, ladies. Our women's conference is coming up in less than one month. It is going to be incredible in Tyler, Texas. The theme of it is it changes everything. One moment, one word from God will change everything. And we're going to have great fellowship, great food, and a great time in the presence of God. I want to encourage you, sign up in the foyer after service and get your deposit in and bring some friends with you. Um, we are going to show you some pictures now. I just returned with a group of 16 this week from Mexico. That church right there, we helped build in the Lock and Doan jungle. We sent the money in for it. And this was their dedication of that church. We gave out beans and rice and Bibles to every family there. And it was an incredible time. It was the Satal Indian women. We also had a women's conference, 360 women. And we had so many uh, women and children and men at the women's conference. They, of course, were just hanging in the windows. And um, incredible time. And gave out uh, flip-flops. And, oh, that was our lunch right there. We got to watch them butcher a bunch of chickens. Um, then we went to the dump. And if you look, I wish we could freeze that for just a moment. Can we freeze it? No. Um, at the dump, that's our next project. There is a small building there. They have over 80 people. You can keep going. You don't, we miss the church. We are going to send in this week, I was just told this morning, $9,000 we have to build that church on the dump. We're partnering with the church there, Pastor Cesar's church. It's incredible. Just this week, we sent $1,000 to dig a water well in Thailand. We sent $500 for Bibles. We gave out beans and rice and Bibles everywhere we went in Mexico and your church is ascending church. And I just want to read you a scripture out of uh, Matthew 25, verse 35. Here, I'll find it here quick. Um, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the disciples said, when did we do this for you, Jesus? 
He said, when you did it for one of the least of these. When we go around the world, we go and share the good news of the gospel. We go and pray for the sick. We go and minister to those churches that need encouragement and strength. And then we go and do something practical like Jesus said, and we give gifts. And so I want to say thank you. Oh, did I mention the tennis shoes? 150 pairs of tennis shoes, 150 pairs of jeans to the kids on the dump because of your giving. God bless you all, and thank you for all you do to spread the gospel around the world. We love you, and um, God bless you as you give. can go ahead and be seated. We have a video before the sermon this morning.
Praise the Lord. Tell your neighbor, you're on the winning side if you're a Christian. Well, we're going to begin a new series this morning called Unmasked. And the sense of this series is that we're going to explore the, what the Bible has to say about the reality of evil, the reality, more specifically, of the evil one. In the Bible, he's called Satan, he's called the devil, he's called the accuser of the brethren, he's called, uh, he's called uh, the father of lies, he's a murderer. We're going to explore his reality because the world that we live in today, secu- the secular society, the humanist, says that there is no God and conversely there is no devil. And Satan has been purged from any aspect of our society. But we're going to see that according to the Bible, there's a different insight that we can glean from this. We want to recognize his influence and resist him as Christians. Uh, the series text, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to read a couple of verses to you. Paul is speaking about the false Christian leaders, and he said they're false apostles. They're deceitful workers, and they disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, here's our text. I'm not surprised even, I want you to say this with me, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He disguises himself. He masquerades, the NIV says. You can imagine going to a costume party where you dress up as someone that you're not. And that's the picture here is that Satan is influencing, but he's not there as this, you know, gory exorcist kind of figure. He's an angel of light. In other words, he appears like what he's doing is good, but in reality it's evil. How many know if if Satan is after your marriage and he comes to your mind and you begin to think, I'd be happier with someone else. My life would be more fulfilled. I'd have more meaning in my life. I'd enjoy life more. I'd be better off. And after all, God wants me to be happy. Is it just possible that Satan's lying to you and once you lose not only your wife, you lose the access to your children that you have. Half your resources are gone and you live with this the rest of your life. It it came across as something good. Maybe you felt to get even with someone. They hurt you. They lied to you. They promised to pay you or give you money or do something for you. They didn't do it. And this thought came in your mind, if nobody else is going to give them justice, I am. And then you take a gun and you go to them and you find yourself in prison. How many know you thought it was going to be a good thing for you to do this evil act, but in reality it was a deception. In reality there was an evil influence behind it. Satan is operating in the unseen world. He is not a red devil in hell with a pitchfork. How I many know no one is in hell yet? Hell is in the book of Revelation called the lake of fire. It's after eternal judgment. But the Bible says he roams the earth opposing God and his people. And I suggest to you that it is Satan behind the violence in our streets, but we don't see him. He is behind the murderous acts of an abortion clinic, but he hides behind the politician. He is behind the upheaval of immorality, but he's hiding behind the banner of individual rights. Well, in this series, we're going to unmask him. And in this first message of this series, I want to show you how he can gain control over people. And maybe a better word is how he can influence people, but more concern to me is how he can influence my life. Uh, how in the world, and maybe you've, been, maybe you've done this or maybe you know someone that they did something totally out of character with for them. They had an affair. They, were, they, 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 were, they uh, abused a child. 
Uh, they stole money, and after it was all over and it was exposed, they thought, I don't know what came over me. Something just, I don't know what happened. I didn't want to do it, but somehow I just did it. Well, I want to suggest to you that though we are still responsible for our actions, it's just possible that there was something, someone behind the scenes pushing us in the wrong direction. Well, this morning I want to illustrate it very clearly in the life of Judas. Judas did what he did, not of his, not of his own thinking, but Satan pushed G- Judas to betray Christ. And if he could do it to Judas, how many know he could do it to us? This is, as I teach this from a Christian point of view, as a believer, how many know we're filled with the Holy Spirit? How many know the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? How many know we have authority over evil in our life? But yet if we open a door, how many know he can come in? Last year, I was, the year before last, I was gardening and and I had this bird netting that was covering my, my cabbage, I think it was, to try to protect him from the rabbit. And the rabbit, of course, outsmarted me. Well, I took it off, and before I put it in the garage, I just laid it on the ground. And a number of days later, I came back, and there was this copperhead snake about this long that was tangled up in that wire netting. And I thank God that God caught him in the net. But when I went back in my house, my door was open. And I had left it open, but I thought, what if a snake could have come in my house? So naturally, I did what you did. I called my wife. I waited outside until she, until she checked the house out. <laughs> Not just... Just easy. But, but if we open a door, he'll come in. And this is what we're going to see in the life of Judas. And then I want to talk about two of his most successful ways or the, the, the greatest open doors in our lives as Americans. The first is what's called the love of money. And the second is sexual lust. So let's explore this together. I wanna, I've entitled the morning's message, it's called Takeover. And takeover means to assume control or possession, to become dominant. And that's what uh, Satan did to Judas. Now, let's go in John chapter 12, and I want to begin talking about Judas. And my first point is simply titled Judas, it could happen to me. And I don't mean the betrayal of Christ, but I mean doing something that I later have such horrible regrets over, and I was pushed into it. You might ask yourself the question, how could anyone betray the Savior of the world and forfeit his soul for a few bucks. It's exactly what Judas did. Judas was one of the original 12 disciples. He watched Jesus do miracles. He watched dead people come back to life. He watched some 20,000 people be fed out of a little boy's lunchbox, two different occasions. And then when Jesus sent out the 12, they were sent out to do the miracles too. So Judas experienced all this, but yet he still betrayed the Master. How could this have happened? The Bible's pretty clear. John chapter 12, uh, we'll look at verse 3. Shortly before Jesus was arrested, Mary took a jar of expensive perfume and anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon... See, when I do this, I'm not scratching my ear. I want you to tell me what's next. The disciple who would betray him said that perfume was worth a year's wages and it should have been sold in the money given to the poor. Now, that's a very noble thought. The problem is he was lying. Now, you could go to Kmart today, I guess, at Walmart, and you could buy probably a $3 perfume, and how many know it would smell like $3 perfume? Well, that's not that big a deal. But can you imagine taking your annual wages, let's say it's $40,000 or ten dollars or $100,000, whatever it is, but 
Everything that you earn in one year, buying 12 ounces of liquid and taking that liquid and pouring it on Jesus' feet. Now, it's gone after that. You can't sweep it up and take it back and say, you know, give me $10,000 back. It's gone. But she did this as an act of love. Judas, though, the scripture goes on to tell us, he didn't care for the poor. He was a thief, and he was in charge of the disciples' money, and he stole some for himself. He's stealing from the church offering. Luke 22 adds to the story. All four Gospels talk about this dynamic. The leading priests were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Now look at verse 3. What's it say? It says, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. We'll talk about what that means. Satan entered into Judas, and he went to the leading priests. Now, this, this action when Satan influenced him, because Satan did not take him over. It was not a robot. But Satan influenced him, and he pushed him towards the priests to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. See, he got mad. He got offended when, when, when Jesus uh, rebuked him for what he said about Mary's action. That he wants to betray Jesus, and they promised to give him what? Money. This is the door. Now, money is not evil. I mean, in, uh, how many know that? But how many know it bec- can become a door of evil? You can do some very good things with money, or you can do some very evil things. Well, verse 6, they agreed, and then he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Now, I want you to see there's a, pro- there's a, there's a process involved in this that we're going to talk about. But in his heart, he loves money. He's a thief. Satan somehow influences him, pushes him into this betrayal, all for the promise of money. Now, let's ask the question, how did Satan influence Judas uh, to betray Jesus, and what can we learn from this? I've got four things, I think, that will help you. The first one is that Satan, and, and now I'm talking about Satan, the Bible does teach he is a literal fallen angel. He is a spiritual being. But he has, he has hordes or minions of demons, followers, fallen angels that were cast out of heaven. We'll talk more about the origins of Satan uh, in the future. But they were cast out of heaven. So, so these demonic powers will influence us if we let them. Now, I'm going to suggest that the way that you look at Satan's influences, how many know it could be, in Judas's case, a love for money? It could be sexual lust. It could be you're offended, and rather than forgiving, you want to get revenge. It could be unforgiveness. All uh, all these are doors. It could be unrestrained anger. And whenever this, this thought comes to your mind, you can either play ping pong with the devil, or you can catch it like a baseball and hold on to it. And that's what Judas did. He held on to it. Verse 3, Satan entered Judas. Now, this implies influence and manipulation, not robotic control. This does not mean Judas was outside of himself and couldn't help himself. This meant, though, that there was an influence pushing him. Now, let me show you what what I think. We we still think uh, this is what the devil does to people. An old movie, the only horror movie I ever saw was The Exorcist. When I was 19, some crazy girl got me to go see this movie, and I slept under the covers for weeks. But, but here's what we think the devil does to people. He makes them turn their heads around backwards, and their tongue comes out that far, and they vomit green vomit. And you can only get help from a Father Damien that comes to help you. <laughs> He's an angel of light. 
You're not going to see. Now, there, there is in the Bible, you see on some, a few occasions where people take on this other personage. For example, the Gadarene maniac. He was oppressed by many devils. He, he, he lived in the tombs in the cemetery naked. He cut himself with stones. But how many know when he met Jesus, he still was conversant. He could talk to him. He was drawn to Christ. And then when he was delivered from this power, he sat in Jesus' feet and he was clothed. So, so, but typically, Judas now was, is not a demon-crazed, possessed man. In Judas's life, his closest friends didn't even know he was under Satan's influence. And I suggest to you, it's possible that not even your spouse knows where you are flirting, playing, where you are flirting with the devil. How do, how do I know this? John 13 says this. When Judas had eaten the bread, this is just before the betrayal, Satan entered into him, and his head spun around, and he began to vomit on the floor. No. Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do, and none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Don't you think if he looked like that girl in The Exorcist or some crazy movie today, please don't see horror movies. Come on, seriously. They open the door to fear in your life. And the Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear. It's, it's a door. But anyway, uh, Satan, none of the other people knew what was going on. Some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or give money to some of the poor. Well, how does this happen? He's an angel of light. And most of the influence that you'll have against Satan is not that you see him and you, you, know, you smack him and he smacks you, but it's in your mind. It's the internal influence that we, that we play ping pong with like Jesus did in the 40-day temptation. Satan would come against him, he'd ping it back with the scripture or we embrace it. Now here's the second thing I want you to see. Satan entered through a door that Judas opened. I don't believe a Christian can be possessed. I think sometimes the conversation, though, lends to the fact that I have, it makes us almost believe that Satan can influence us. I mean, if you're truly born again, the Spirit of God is living inside you. But you can be under the influence. But Satan doesn't just arbitrarily do this. We open a door just like that snake. That snake had the potential to come in my house because a door was open. The door in Judas' life was the love of money. He lived for money. He loved money more than he loved God. Money was his God. Money was his passion. And gradually he let Satan influence his decisions through money. Now there's other doors we can open. Again, we'll talk about it. Sexual lust, uh, anger. You can have an anger problem and, 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 and you just get pushed to pull a gun, to fight, and you're cast out, you, you get kicked out of school, you lose your job, whatever the case is. Unforgiveness, offenses. All these can be doors, and there'll be things that God's trying to heal us from and deal with us, but Satan wants to use it. Now, here's the most important part of the message. There was a process at work before the betrayal. If, if, if this betrayal started, you guys are breathing heavy. If the betrayal started here, when he actually went to the priest, I suggest that Satan's influence started back here could have started as a boy. We don't know whether he was poor and did anything he could to get money, or maybe he was rich, and when he started following Jesus, he didn't have any money. We don't know what it was. But somehow, money became more important than God. Now, see this process. I want to talk about a couple steps. It was his mind and emotions that money became too important for him. Somewhere, let me know the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
So money's important, but God is more important. It's not money or God. It's just that God wants to be first. But somehow in Judas's life, money became more important. He rationalized it in his mind. And the second thing is he violated biblical principles to get it. Remember, he lied. He said caring for, when he cared about the poor, it was a lie. He stole from the offerings. And this is what I promise you will happen, friends. That thought will conceive. We'll talk about temptation in the days ahead. But thoughts begin to grow like seeds in the ground. And when you give place to them, it will cause you to take the next step. You know, maybe you're at work and uh, you have access to money or the credit card or, or, or charge accounts or whatever the case may be, and there's $100 or 1000 or whatever it is, and you have this feeling that just grows in your mind, fostered by society, that says they're not treating me fair because of my gender, because of my race, because of my sexual orientation, blah, 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 blah. Other people make more money than me, but I work harder than them. Therefore, that money belongs to me, so you take it. And then before you know it, nothing happens then. You're able to go out and buy some new turkey decoys. How I many know the world is a better place? And he pulls you in. You begin to steal or violate principles. Now, here's the third one. John 13, 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas. Now, if you only want to walk away with one insight from this message, take this scripture. The devil put it into his heart. But I suggest to you, you don't have to take it. I mean, no, you can play ping pong with the thoughts. Remember when Satan came to Jesus, uh, turned these stones into bread? Jesus pinged it right back and said, no, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Uh, he put it in his heart. The NIV says he prompted Judas or he persuaded him. Again, he did not turn his head backwards and make him vomit, green vomit. It was just a part of the rational processes of life. He embraced the thought. You say, well, is that anywhere else in the Bible? Absolutely. Acts chapter 5, you remember Ananias and Sapphira? They were helping the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And the scripture says this. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Spirit and keep back part for yourself? So somehow he's influencing what goes on inside of us. And then lastly in this process... Something happened to push him over the edge. You remember when he actually went out and did the betrayal, Mary had just anointed Jesus' feet with oil, and he was angry because of, of, of what she did, because he wanted the money. Let me read it to you, Mark 14. Jesus replied to Judas, Why are you criticizing her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor. Now think about this. Room full of people. There's probably all the disciples, everybody there. And she does this wonderful thing. This aroma is in the air. Jesus has been talking about his death. Everybody's empathizing with him. Judas said we could have, you know, and it looked like he was, he was just fulfilling the mission statement of the company, you know, and helping poor people. And Jesus rebukes him in front of everybody. Jesus said you'll always have the poor and you can help them whenever you want to. And verse 10, what's it say? Then. Then, this is the push over the edge. Then Judas goes to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus. And they promise to give him what? Money. Again, money's not evil. We'll talk about it more in a minute. But this was the door. And Jesus touches money, God, and pushed him over the edge. You've got something that can push you over the edge. 2 Corinthians 2, in this particular case, the issue was forgiveness and unforgiveness. 
And Paul said he forgave so Satan would not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil schemes, and Judas was outsmarted, and it cost him everything. Now, here's the last point in the Judas story. When Satan's done with us, he'll throw us away. When he pulled you into it, he'll cast you aside. Matthew 27, uh, when Judas realized Jesus had been condemned to die, he's filled with remorse. He takes the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and said, I betrayed an innocent man. And what did they say? What do we care? What do we care? It's like a guy wants to sleep with you or vice versa. And he courts you and he romances you and talks sweet to you. But as soon as he gets what he wants, he goes on somebody else. You're worth more than that, sister. What do we care? That's your problem. And Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and did what? Hung himself. So here the offer was, you're going to have a better life. I'll give you money. And the money ends up on the floor. He hangs himself and goes to hell. The Bible says it had been better if he was not even born. Now, let me, let me follow this a little deeper. And let me talk about what I think are the two greatest doors that Satan tries to walk through in your life and mine. The first one was this love of money, and the second was sexual lust. Let's talk about the love of money. The first part of this scripture is the negative part. The second is the balance part. That I, I think this is the best balance in scripture when it comes to a Christian and their, their money and material world. Here's a negative. 1 Timothy 6, people who long to be rich. How many would like to have a little bit more than you have now? Let me see your hand. Me too. The rest of you are a liar. Come on now. You, 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 you are lying. They're trapped by many. In church, you're lying. You're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. But here's the problem. Wanting to have more money is not wrong. So you thought it was a trick question. Desiring to have more is not a bad thing. How many know that God delights to bless us? The Bible says in Deuteronomy that God gives you the power to obtain wealth. Uh, In the New Testament, John said, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Money in itself is not bad. It's the love of money. Let me help you understand the difference. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And if you still think money is evil, by the way, I'll be in the, back, uh, the front door when you get ready to leave. Just give me all that filthy money when you leave, and I'll figure out something to do with it. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money wandered from the true faith, think of Judas, and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now listen to what the potential for money to do is. You long for it. You're trapped by these desires. Uh, You crave it. It'll cause you to wander from the truth, but in the end you'll have sorrow, ruin, and destruction. But here's a question I want to ask you. How do you know that just trying to get ahead in America is not the love of money? How do we know if our pursuit of success, is it wrong to want to have a, I don't know, bigger house, a, a nicer shotgun, a nicer decoys, blah, 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 blah. I don't think so. But at some point, God becomes secondary and the money becomes first. Now, when I share the balance of this scripture, you'll understand more. Money is not evil. We all need it and God promises to provide it. You pray for it when you pray the Lord's Prayer. I pray it every day. Give me this day my, my daily bread. But if I misused it, it can destroy me. But if I properly use it, It's a blessing. 
What is proper use? We're going to see that in, in just a second. But for example, when you watch those, those uh, slides there that you saw of, the, of the, uh, the Mexico ministry, I don't know if you gave anything towards that. We, don't, we didn't do a big push for it because here's what we do in a church. We believe in giving. Anytime that you give your tithe or undesignated offering, we take 13%. 10 is a tithe, and just we try to do more. We put it in an outreach fund, and we give it outside the four walls of this church. It could be the world mission field, our community, but it's not salaries, overhead, or anything like that. It's just dedicated towards helping people. See, so when you take some of that money and you put some money that we gave to, to buy tennis shoes, to uh, dig a water well, to buy Bibles, well, guess what? That money went on to have an eternal reward from it. But if you just said, no, I need it for my whatever, you know, if I don't have that, I can only buy a 50-inch TV rather than a 55 I'm not knocking the 55, but I'm just saying, if it comes to having the 55 and giving up or turning my back on God's work, I'm going to settle for the 50. Come on, are you with me today? God doesn't want to take away your joy in life, but we've got to have this sense of balance. You want part of what you're doing, your money, to work to advance the kingdom of God. You know, we talked about it, we're going to have to enlarge our church I mean, this is our fuller service, but we had two other services. Uh, they had between 250, 300 just in the sanctuary. God's blessing what we're doing here. So we're going to expand, and the architects, you know, we have the plans for the education and everything else. And now we're getting the last little touch here because we're going to have to expand the sanctuary somehow. Well, guess what it's all going to boil down to? God's will, of course, but responsible stewardship implies money. Do you build it bigger or do you not? We've got so much saved, it'll cost this much to build it, and, and, and we're not going to go on crazy debt. Well, guess what? What if God entrusted someone with wealth, and part of the purpose was for the missions, but part of the purpose was to, in a big way, make a step and help this church grow larger? Well, guess what that does? That money is being put to good use. It'll have eternal reward. Now, here's the, the I call it the balance or the antidote to the love of money. Verse 17 this is why I think this is the most balanced scripture in the Bible about material things. He says, teach those who are rich in this world, don't be proud. In other words, don't think it's all about me. And not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, but trust in God. See, here's what happens. And this is crazy, but it's almost like my experience is, I've watched people. The more you have, the tighter you hold on to it. Oftentimes, people that are poor are more generous for whatever reason. But we hold on to it. This is why I think the tithe is so important. The first thing God gives me, I open my hands and I give 10% back to his work. See, otherwise, I'm doing this. Well, here's what he says. He says, uh, uh, put your trust in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I mean, like that verse. Come on, that's a precious promise right there. And let me say this to you. Don't ever feel guilty. If you're able to take a nice vacation, you know, buy something for your home, whatever the case is, buy your little girl the shoes that she wants instead of the ones that you ought to buy. Are, are you with me today? When God blesses us, it is a blessing, and we don't need to feel guilty as long as we're living this balanced life. And here's how we do it, verse 18. Tell them to use their money to do good. And how do you do that? You're rich in good works, you're generous to those in need, and always ready to share with other people. I want to suggest to you, here's how you know if you're loving money or not. If all that comes through your hand is spent on yourself, it could be that you're a lover of money. And I'm not judging you, but it's possible. 
But if what God gives you, you take what he gives you, you honor him with his tithe. Listen, then if you meet your needs, give us this day our daily bread. If you have a little fun, if you save a little bit, and then you invest in God's kingdom, I suggest you're living a balanced life, and you're not a lover of money, you're a lover of God. And the greatest evidence is not what comes out of my mouth, come on, but it's my checkbook and it's my calendar. Give the Lord a a good hand today. Now, let me take a minute about this last, this last door, uh, or this other door. It's about sexual lust and immorality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul the Apostle says, We urge you, live in a way that pleases God. Now, before you read any more, if I ask you the question, how many want to please God, what would you do? How many want to please God? Of course, you'd, you'd raise your hand. But here's what he says. God's will is for you to be what? Holy. Now, he's going to say this three times. Holy means to be set apart from sin and set apart to God. And to be holy, he says, stay away from all sexual sin. Now, here's God's view of sexuality. How many know God made them male and female? God made the male and and the sexual experience and the woman and the pleasure and all that that's associated with it. And sex is a good thing, but it belongs in marriage. And God's design is that the sexual expression is to be between a man and a woman and the lifelong covenant of marriage, and it's blessed. But outside of that, the Bible would say it's sin. Now, here's where I'm going to clash with culture again. Because culture tells you, do whatever you want to, whenever you want to, with anyone you want to do it with. Come on now. As long as they're not under age, and that age, there's pressure to drop that age from groups like NAMBLA, North American Man-Boy Love Association. They're out there. But sexual sins, as a married man, adultery. If I had sex with someone other than my wife, Jesus brought it down to pornography, the thoughts in my mind. If it's fornication, sex with an unmarried person, uh, homosexuality, sex between two same-sex people, uh, then you go to bestiality and all the other things that are out there. They're out there in the world, and the Scripture calls that sexual sin. Then he says, each of you will... Uh, if you want to do that, please, God, you'll learn to control your body and live in, second time, holiness and honor. Who are you honoring by doing this? God. And you're also honoring your spouse, maybe your future spouse. Then he says, don't live in lustful passion like the pagans who don't know God and his ways. Can I suggest to you most of what you see about sexuality in America today is from the pagans? Come on now. And it's who's behind that, do you think? Is it possible that the devil is maybe behind that? Uh, Who's doing the Super Bowl uh, tonight, the the, the entertainment? Lady Gaga? Is that not the biggest uh, uh, contradiction? Lady Gaga? Is she a lady? Come on now. Do you think she's going to wear her Sunday best when she performs tonight? No, she's going to be shaking. Come on now. And she's not going to have much on. And all the people that are dancing with her, and that's what's normal in America. It's normalized in America, but it's not normal with God. This is the lustful passion like pagans who don't know God. Look at verse 6. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife or flip side, her husband. Why? For the Lord avenges all such sins. You say, well, can't I be forgiven? Sure you can. But you will carry, I'm telling you, friends, you'll carry a pain from this, and I can tell you from first experience, because I did not live the Christian life all my life. 
If you violate God's ways, it seems good. There's a voice whispering in your ear. Come on now. If you happen to be a virgin today, there's a voice whispering in your ear and say, don't wait because nobody else is. After all, don't you want to be more experienced for your husband one day? After all, you're going to enjoy yourself. Nobody will find out. Birth control is so easy. Your parents, they're all fuddy-duddies. That preacher, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Isn't that a voice that falls, lips around in your head? You're getting quiet on me out there. The Lord has called us to live holy lives. Do you know when you have sex with someone, your body releases chemicals? There's a chemical release, a hormonal release that's called the attachment bond. That's why you want to cling to that person and hold on to them. That's why in most cases, it's particularly if a woman gives that part of her life, her body to a man. Listen, for him, it may just be conquest. But for her, it's love. And if you bond yourself to multiple people, you're going to be confused when you finally get married. I'm preaching better than you're amening this morning. How many know it always works better God's way? Now, I'm not here to beat you up this morning. Listen, how many know there is forgiveness in God? And how many know God calls us to repent and get on track? But I'm just telling you, if Judas would have straightened himself out early on, he wouldn't have betrayed Jesus for money. And the quicker we straighten out ourselves in our morality, the better our lives will be. That was a weak amen there, but I'm going to go with it like you agree. Therefore, and this is verse 8, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God. Will you give me five more minutes? Who'll give me five minutes? Let me see. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. That's plenty. That's plenty. That's all. Just, just teasing. Just give me a couple more minutes. Everything in our culture tries to awaken lust. This is why I suggest it's demonic. TV, movies, music. How about internet pop-ups? You're just watching your little conservative news site, and all of a sudden this woman is, you know, Shaking on your news site. I, I didn't know I was so popular. I get, I, get, I get all these friend requests. Come on. From these attractive looking ladies. And if you click the about button, you look so guilty out there. If you click the about button, she doesn't tell you where she lives, where she went to high school, who she knows. She has no friends. And she's doing this. You get your mail today, and Victoria's Secret is in your mailbox. Listen, that's Playboy magazine not many years ago. Soft porn is just everywhere. Satan has destroyed countless believers' lives. He's destroyed reputations and ministries through sexual lust. Don't let him do it to you. One of the greatest traps in our culture today is pornography. Pornography opens a door. It awakens an urge inside you. A Facebook friend, if you click on this person and it turns into a Facebook like, I, you're smart enough to know what the next thing will be. How would you like to get together? I've seen your picture. I've read about you. It seems like you're a very nice person. Can we have dinner? Lust in flames and then a few minutes of pleasure, you end up with a lifetime of shame, regret, guilt, and sorrow. Satan uses sexual lust like he used the love of money to destroy Judas. That's why, my friends, I want to encourage you to do what Job did in Job 31.1. Job said, say this with me, I made a covenant with my eyes, 
not to look lustfully at a young woman. Or ladies, you reverse it. Or in today's world of lesbians and gay, just I will not look lustfully at another person. Come on now. Five, first, because I love God, and then I love my spouse. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 28. Jesus said, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. So the question is, do I want to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or are there areas I put off limits? That's what Judas did with money. You're getting so quiet on me this morning. Do you know God has a better way? God has a better way. Resist temptation. Run away from seduction. Unfriend the tempter on Facebook. Use the computer controls. And then at the right time with godly counsel, marry a godly Christian uh, uh, opposite sex person. Have as much sex as you want to. And then have babies one day. And then have grandbabies. Because I'm telling you, that's the way God intended life to be lived. Otherwise, Satan's going to trip you up. Come on, i got to move along. I'm turning red up here on the stage. <laughs> well, you'd rather hear somebody talk about truth in the pulpit than Reader's Digest. You can read Reader's Digest at home. Let's, let's, let's wrap it up. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert. Everybody say, be alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, looking for someone to pet him. No, he's looking for someone to devour and then what does the Bible says? The Bible says that we are to resist him by standing firm in our faith. I got this little kitty cat. I've had several cats, my daughter and I, but this cat's named Callie, and she's a stalker. She loves to get in the house and sleep where she shouldn't sleep now, but when you put her outside, she gets in cat mode, and she just is creeping around. And you can tell when she spots a bird, she just gets low, and she's just moving, and she puts a bush between her and the bird feeder. And she's just getting closer because, she, and then I tell you, I've watched this cat. She is like lightning. She can catch a squirrel, a hummingbird, a bird when she pounces. And can I tell you, friends, when she comes out of our house, she doesn't come walking out saying, Hey, birds, I'm coming to get you. She doesn't walk up to the bird feeder and say, Hey, I'm fixing to eat your lunch. No, she sneaks around. And that's exactly how Satan does. He'll use an offense between you and another person. He'll try to get you bitter. He'll try to get you angry. He'll try to use lust. He'll try to use the love of money. But whatever it is, how many know as a Christian, I can resist him. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I'm not playing catch with the devil. I'm playing ping pong. Come on, give Jesus a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? We'll be out of here in a minute, and then I'm sad. I can't go watch Dallas in the Super Bowl, but maybe next year. I want to ask you this question before we go. Don't turn me off just yet. I know you're thinking about lunch. But I want to ask you this question. What did the Holy Spirit talk to you about this morning? When I come to church, I want to hear God. And what I find is whenever we open the Bible... God tends to speak. Why don't you take just a minute? Why don't you just bow your head and just say, Well, Lord, what do I do with this now? M maybe my friend behind the pulpit said something, and then you talked to me about that. And I'm looking at it differently now. I'm looking at 
a man that used to be a brother, Judas, became a betrayer. I'm seeing that there's a stalker. He's after me and he starts with the thoughts in my mind. And I wonder, do I play ping pong or do I play catch? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you now? Because I tell you this, friends, it's not to condemn you or shame you. That's the devil. God wants to pull you out. God wants you to put your foot down right now and say, I resist you in Jesus' name. I will not give place to your attacks. We are unmasking you. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Not for condemnation or shame or judgment. We're unmasking Satan because he can't destroy us. God, we need your help to resist. It's hard because my flesh wants to do things that I know are destructive. Can we just slip our hands to heaven and just ask God to fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit? It's got to be more than just willpower because I'm weak sometimes. But the Bible says when we're weak, then we can be strong because of Christ in us. So, Lord, as little kids, we reach out to heaven and say, Dad, help us. We reach out to heaven asking you to draw us closer to you. God, we're asking you today to give us a, a holy hatred for that which you call sin and, and a desire for the holy life. God, we don't want to fall prey to the love of money. We don't want to fall prey to immorality. We don't want to harbor unforgiveness. We don't want to let offenses or anger guide and control us. Well, we don't want to give any place to Satan. Help us, Holy Spirit, today. Give us power to recognize, discernment to recognize, and power to resist. In Jesus' name. Let's close this way. I'm going to invite my prayer team to the front. We normally pray in the middle of service, but since we had communion, we want to give you an opportunity before you leave today. Maybe there's something big going on in your life. You need God to help you. I mean, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing when we come to church with a burden and we leave church with the same burden. Because the Bible says we can cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. And maybe there's something in your life you need prayer for. Maybe it's a friend that you know that needs help. We'll pray. Maybe this message stirred something within you and, and you realized you're in a pickle but you don't know how to get out. Maybe you're here and you feel like Satan is just dogging you and he's just about got you. And you want somebody to lay their hands on you and in the name of Jesus pray for you. We'd be honored to do that today. How many know the Bible says he whom the Son sets free is free indeed? So, so, so if you want prayer, we'll pray about that. But here's the most important thing. and Give me your attention just a second. Maybe you're here today and you'll say, Pastor, what I need is I need to get right with God today. Maybe being in the church today, it just you've kind of felt the presence of God strong. And, and in worship, you felt the love of God in the Bible. And you know you need to walk out of your old life and begin to follow Christ. Jesus calls, when we believe in Him and follow Him, He calls it being saved or being born again. And maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's what I need. I need to get my life right with God. Whether your life's a mess or whether your life's on top, but still, how many know if God's missing? You'll never have the best life you could have. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I need God in my life. I need God's forgiveness, and I don't want to leave this place for I do. I want to make a commitment of my life to Christ. Maybe you're here today, and for some, it's the first commitment you've ever made. But for many that are here today, maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. and Get back on board with Him and begin to follow Him. If that's you, we'd be honored to pray for you this morning. If you want to need to get right with God today and you want our prayers, just slip your hand up real quick here. I promise you won't embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Anyone this morning, say, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God. Anyone today, I see, yeah, give them a big hand. I see somebody back here. Anybody else, say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with, right with God today. 
All right, why don't we do this? Our prayer team is coming around the front right now. We'll pray with you about anything. And you that lifted your hand or if you would need to get your life right with God, come slip out and let someone pray with you right in front of the cross. I promise you it will be the best step you ever made in your life. You come let us pray for you. I love you and thanks for being here. We'll continue this next week. Continue to worship in the prayer team. going to remain around front. They'll pray with you about anything this morning. Hey, but if not, you're free to be dismissed. God bless you. Hope you have a wonderful week.